This podcast is a part of the Carbon Almanac Network of Podcasts. Welcome to the Carbon Connection Podcast. It's not too late to change the conversation about climate change from doom and gloom to a conversation about possibility. This podcast is a curated selection of episodes that we just had to share with you. The Carbon Connection is about the many dimensions of climate change and the conversations people are having across the globe. It's about hope, community, advocacy, science, and changing our future. Hi, I'm Julie. I'm a member of the Carbon Almanac Network. Have you ever wondered why it is sometimes difficult to take action on climate change? How you may feel paralyzed by echo anxiety? I know I have. In this episode of The Carbon Connection, Dr. Kara Uwe, a youth psychiatrist, sleep physician for teens and podcast host, speaks with Manon Dorin, a French-Canadian visual artist and arts educator. Together, they explore Manon's involvement with the Carbon Almanac, a movement which has now grown to more than 2,000 volunteers. Dr. Uwe and Manon also consider the important issue of eco-anxiety amongst teens, how it can lead to paralysis and inaction, and propose steps and small daily shifts that can lead teens and all of us to concrete climate actions. In this episode, you will learn how to tap and unblock the incredible potential of teens, how to get teens involved in the Carbon Almanac, the importance of having meaningful conversations on climate change, the value of modeling and collaboration, and the healing potential of the arts. As Manon suggests, taking the first small steps should feel good, be fun, and easy. I'm all for that. I've truly enjoyed this episode. I hope you will too. The person who for 40 minutes didn't touch anything, had their arms folded across their chest and looked like they were having the worst time of their life. Once they dove in, in five minutes, it was magic. So their potential, it can feel dormant, but once it's expressed, it's amazing because there's so much in there that can come out in so little time. This is Dr. Kara Uwe, and I'm a sleep physician, youth psychiatrist, and the creator of the Decode Insomnia program for teens with insomnia and their parents. Over the years, I've discovered that sleep is a powerful place to start with teenagers. Not only is it next to impossible to tackle anything else when they're sleep-deprived and exhausted, but getting sleep on track can be a great first win that can give them the energy and confidence they need to tackle the other hard stuff after sleep is better. In the Decode Project, we talk about the strategies, frameworks, and insights that make the biggest difference so that you can best support your teen starting with sleep, and then going from there. Hello and welcome. In this episode, I speak with artist Manon Doran about The Carbon Almanac. The Carbon Almanac is a book as well as a movement of now over 2,000 people collaborating to start a conversation to take meaningful action against climate change. I wanted to speak to somebody from The Carbon Almanac because I was curious about how teens could get involved. Because in my experience, one of the best ways to bring about change is to have something that is personally meaningful to move towards and to spur action. Eco-anxiety is very real and incredibly prevalent, especially in youth. In 2021, an international survey of individuals aged 16 to 25 showed that 95% of respondents were at least a little worried about climate change, with 59% of the respondents feeling extremely or very worried. 45% reported that their worries impacted their functioning. Over 60% of respondents felt sad, afraid, and anxious and over 50% felt angry, powerless, helpless, and guilty. In addition to finding ways that teens could get involved, I also believe that teens have a lot to contribute. When not covered up by exhaustion and overwhelm, teens have so much skill, energy, passion, creativity, and optimism to offer. When I emailed Menel, and she responded by sharing some of her other work in teen mental health and suicide prevention using the arts, I knew she'd be a perfect fit for the podcast. In this episode, we speak about Manon's involvement in the Carbon Almanac, eco-anxiety, what she learned in creating and working in the teen mental health and suicide prevention initiative, Pens and Paints, her tips for unlocking the incredible potential of teens, and concrete, digestible, and impactful steps that we can all take to move the needle on climate change. 
It's a powerful interview that gave me lots to think about, as well as a number of concrete steps that I took right after our conversation. So please enjoy this interview with Menel. Welcome, Manol. Thank you so much for being here to chat with me today. I'm I'm very, very excited to talk to you. Why don't you just start off by telling me about who you are and what you do and why you do what you do? My name is Manol. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm an artist and for most of my life, I've had an urge to protect humans, animals and the planet. And so I've always weaved with my life ecological values into my work. And it it has led me on many different paths that I didn't expect. So I've recently worked on the Carbon Almanac. It's a book of facts that offers hope and solutions for the future. And I'm also working on community-engaged art projects. Because many people who are listening probably don't know what the Carbon Almanac yeah. is. I'm wondering yeah. if you could tell me a bit about that project. So the Carbon Almanac is a project that is led by Seth Goday. He's an author. He invited volunteers from all over the globe to participate in writing a book that was facts to help people start conversation about the planet on a, a basis of, of understanding. And now where do we go from here? Is this solution more appropriate than this solution? And it was all about giving people confidence to talk, but also confidence to take action. And it's all volunteer-based. We're, at first, the group that wrote and edited the Almanac, it's 300 people. But now it's a movement that's 2,000 strong. All volunteers, everybody has given their time. Experts from across fields, interdisciplinary. It's very inspiring to be part of, because I've never seen collaboration be so organic in the sense that you choose what you want to contribute to the project at the level you want to contribute. And even if you've never done something before, if it sparks your interest, you can try. And you know that the people around you are there to make it better. So as long as you try and you put something out there, there's always someone to lift it up and make it better. It feels so good to collaborate in this way. And it's all virtual. I didn't think it was possible, but it's fantastic. (laughs) Yeah, I've been involved in other communities before that have been created and supported by Seth Godin. And that piece about the community and the level of engagement is, it's really incredible. I've very rarely been part of communities like that, where everybody is just so in it and so just wanting to be there and excited. And it's pretty incredible what can come of that. Fantastic. And maybe for a little bit of background, the reason why I was lucky to be introduced to you is that I know Jen, who's involved in the Carbon Almanac, and I'd reached out to her because I wanted to speak to her about what the Carbon Almanac was and also ways in which teens could get involved because I have created a program for teens with insomnia. And one of the major barriers I find to teens taking action, to getting their sleep on track, but also just in general, is not having a sense of what they're moving towards. So something where they feel they have a purpose, something that is important to them, something that matters to them. And right now there is a lot of eco-anxiety. That is a major source of anxiety for all of us, but I think especially for teens and their uncertainty about the world that they're going to be living in. And so I really wanted to speak to somebody who was involved in the Carbon Almanac just to understand, well, so one thing, how teens can be involved. But also, I, I think that there is this incredible opportunity to leverage the power of teens. And you talked Absolutely. about that. Right? Absolutely. When you can access it, are so energetic and creative and optimistic and engaged, right? When you can tap into it. And so... When Jen made the introduction and I read a little bit about what you do, I just thought this is the perfect fit. I was so excited to speak to you. (laughs) So at first, when you reached out, I was like, oh, why me? I can't. This is not. And then I I reflected on my past experience. And it's true that working with YouthNet has allowed me to see youth in the full spectrum of what youth can experience and what they can be and how they can change themselves and the world. And so I was working in mental health promotion, suicide prevention, and I created a program that helped 
self-introspection and expression through various creative means. And in that, I was allowed to see them differently. And I think they, the, the youth saw themselves differently too. But reflecting back on that experience, it gave me the courage <laughs> to be here today and speak to you about youth and the link with eco-anxiety and the Carbon Almanac. I think the first thing I want to say is that eco-anxiety is real. It can be paralyzing. Although I'm not a youth anymore, I've experienced in my young adulthood a phase where I did not want to hear anything about the planet and the state of the crisis because I was deep into questioning, am I having kids? Like, what is the future of this life? And at one point, what helped me to break out of it was action, to actually be able to talk to other people about what is going on and what can we do and get organized to take concrete concrete actions in everyday life, actually getting your feet out there on the ground and doing something. It sometimes involves your hands, your body. There's all kinds of different options and there's options for every taste. You can be an introvert and still be participating in these movements, or you could be an extrovert and very social and find your place. There's a place for everyone. I have to say, to be completely transparent, I think I'm probably in that phase right now. I'm wanting to be in that phase of action, but I agree this paralysis and what to do, how to take action that actually is going to do something is a real barrier. So I'm wondering if you could speak a bit more to that, what teens are facing right now in terms of all of this uncertainty around, around climate change and the environment. So anxiety is real for any age group, any person. And I think the first step is to take a moment and feel it. And so it's very scary because there's so much that's out of control. There's grief that's attached to it because so much has been lost already. And I think that teens are feeling it. They know, okay, we are starting from a bad spot. They see the gray and the challenges. And so the first reaction is the ostrich. Like, I want to put my head in the sand and not think about this. This is too difficult. I need to entertain and do other things to not dive into this reality and feel it. For me, one key to feeling joy in your life is to be able also to feel the difficult times. There's a balance there. And so a moment without distractions where you put down the phones and the constant pulse of information that we now have in our lives. It's everywhere. So taking a moment away from that and allow it to feel sad, grief, whatever emotion, anger. So many of them are angry. I've heard them say, I'm not going to have kids or I don't want to, to participate in this society. Leaders in youth activism regarding climate right now that are showing the example, leading the ways on how youth can take action that are actually changing things. Greta is one example that everybody knows, but there are so many other examples that are brilliant. And here in Canada, we have Autumn Pelletier. She's working on water rights for Indigenous communities across Canada. So in the Almanac, we have a list of 10 youth leaders. She's part of the list. And we are showcasing youth from across the globe. They're everywhere that are taking. At first, it was one simple action. It wasn't a big plan of I will be a world famous youth leader. It was just, okay, this is a situation in my life right now. I want to do something about it. What am I going to do? And they didn't do it alone. They had support. And so back to my original thing about feeling it. First, you have to feel it to know what it does to you. Like, where is it at for me in my body? What does it relate to in my mind? And once you have a grasp of, okay, I really care about the birds or the water or the social justice or equality. Once you grasp the issue that's really important to you, 
then you can start weaving the small steps together. Because it's not about one big plan. It's about what small action will link into the next action, will link into the next action. And usually that brings a group around it. It can be a virtual community of people across the globe doing similar things. But sometimes it's also a local group that's already doing something that you didn't know about before because you didn't look that way or life wasn't ready to, to propose that opportunity to you. And most of the time, it turns into an opportunity, an opportunity to grow, an opportunity to make connection, and an opportunity to celebrate. Because once you're out there and you're planting part of a forest, well, you can see the rest of the forest and celebrate it. It's here. It's still here. Wow. And there's all these species in it. And they're protected in this one area. Let's keep that going. When you're contributing to something that has positive impact, you can feel it. And that gives you more energy. So the eco-anxiety can be so paralyzing when you're living it all on your own and you don't want to face it. But once you're able to face it and say, okay, I'm going to have conversations about it. I'm going to talk about it. And then I'm going to take small actions. Then it snowballs into what I think is a very soothing experience where you can attain hope. You can touch it. Yeah, there's hope there because we can do something about it. Absolutely. So you speak a lot about how taking small steps and not necessarily having to climb the entire mountain, but just taking that first step is such a huge part just to getting that traction, being able to take action. And then it often then snowballs. What I find, I do work with teens who have insomnia, who are very sleep deprived, and that leads to fatigue, which I think a lot of times we don't think about as playing such a huge role, but I view it as such a huge factor that shapes the ability to take action. And everything that you've spoken about in terms of wanting to bury your head in the sand, I know that when I'm tired, I'm just like, oh, you know, you just, there's so much apathy that comes along with that. And so I find I'm often thinking about how do you get people to enroll in that journey? Seth Godin talks about that a lot, right? There's that gap between where a lot of people are and just taking that first little step. So I'm wondering if you can speak to that and what you found to be helpful in your work with teens. Yeah, so that's such a good point. And it's an important barrier to consider that the first step can be overwhelming because we do not know what it is. And so instead of asking ourselves, what is the step? You can ask yourself, what is it that would feel good right now? It does not have to be complicated. What would feel good right now? What would be easy for me to do? What would be fun? Fun, easy, and feel good are three words that I try to use to help people guide, even for myself. Like I experience fatigue also, and, and sometimes I still want to bury my head in the sand for a few weeks. <laughs> but when I come out of it, I say baby steps. And baby steps that feel good, that are not overwhelming. And it can be different for everyone. That's why when we did the creative expression program with youth, we had a little bit of everything so they could try. Oh, I've never done a dance move before. It doesn't matter. It's not really about dance. It's about seeing if when your body moves to music, does it feel good? Like I'm sorry, the creative expression program. Could you just tell me what that is that you're talking about? So when I worked at CHIO, the Children's Hospital of Eastern Ontario, for YouthNet, a, a mental health promotion, suicide prevention program, we created a 12-week course that was called Pens and Paints. And it was all about creative expression and introspection, how to look inside, but also express what it is that I feel through different arts. And we tried with writing, painting, dance, and music to just dive a little bit into each category and how that could be experienced in terms of better understanding yourself, but also how that medium, that art, can help you express what it is that you're feeling. 
And so youth that had never picked up a paintbrush before were very intimidated, like, no, no, I'm not good at this. I can't draw. And I was like, it, it doesn't matter. It's not about what you can't do because in this context, in this setting, there's no mistake. We're just trying. And we're trying to see if you like the activity. And in reality, the end goal, if you don't like it, we don't have to keep it. It's about the experience of doing it. And so sometimes people are overwhelmed in visual arts because there's a product at the end. Sometimes it's easier with things like dance and music because uh, it disappears once it's done. Mm. If it's not recorded, it's just uh, nobody can look at it after. <laughs> right. But it's fun to try. And so people discovered passions they did not know they had because they gave themselves permission to try. We don't know we like something sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm often talking about that teens are relatively early in their life. And so they just haven't had as much time and experience to try things out and to discover what it is that they like. And so there is this process that you have to take that you've just described of dabbling and stumbling upon what it is that you enjoy, but it requires taking action, right? Even if it's a tiny action, it requires you getting in there and actually being able to experience it. And I find, you know, you can get stuck in avoidance forever <laughs> for your entire life, right? Just taking that first step, you can spend a whole lifetime not doing that. One of the things that I think is important is sometimes it does not feel good at first. When you're trying a new meditation technique, oh my God, it can be overwhelming and I don't like this. Any activity, any action. Sometimes commitment has to be like, okay, for three weeks, I'm going to do it five minutes every day even if I don't like it. To see after 21 days, how has that experience been for me? And so taking the choice out of it. Okay, I don't have a choice. For three weeks, I'm going to do this five minutes. And linking it to something that you really like in your life. So if it's, I really like when I hang out with this friend after school. Well, before hanging out with this friend after school, you have to take two minutes, one minute, five minutes, to do the thing that you committed to doing. So linking the action, the commitment to something that you're already doing in your life and putting it before. <laughs> so in, in the lives of adults, it's like, okay, if you really need to do this, you do it right before you have your coffee or your breakfast or right before you brush your teeth. Or it, So pick one moment that you know you're going to live through in that day and put the action right before and tell yourself, okay, it's not very long, however many minutes, and you give it a go for three weeks. After three weeks, you're allowed to say, okay, that was not for me and I can try something else. And also if you miss one time, not to say, okay, it's over. I don't need to do this anymore because I failed that one day. You need to forgive yourself. Okay, today was really challenging. I didn't do it but I'm going to do it tomorrow and getting to a balance where you're doing it more often than not for that 21 days. It doesn't have to be perfect. Mm -hmm. You've spoken a lot of the habit principles, right? So this idea of, first of all, bringing it down to something small, linking it to something you like, so the term habit stacking, and then also expecting there to be stumbles, right? So it doesn't have to be perfect and it's a, it's a process and it is about consistency, but if you get derailed, that's okay. Just kind of forgive yourself and get back on, uh, get back on track. And absolutely, I love how you just spoke about all of that. So yeah. you've already spoken to some of the beliefs or some of the things that limit people in taking action. So I think you've mm -hmm. spoken to the fact that things need to be perfect, or I'm not good at this, so I can't do this, or I need to reach a certain outcome. And those are things I, I find often hear in my work. Are there other things that you often hear? Other limiting beliefs or misconceptions that people have that keep them from taking action? Oh, I think the fear of failure is big. Yeah. And so in our society right now, we have forgotten the value of failing at something. We play it safe in order to succeed mildly, but we, we want to make sure that we don't fail. But in failure, sometimes there is so much to learn and so much opportunity to grow. And we see failure as something negative, but really it's an opportunity. There is so many 
valuable life lessons that we can gain from not succeeding at something. The key is to take a moment, to take it in, understand, okay, what just happened? How come it happened? Okay, what am I going to do next? That moment of introspection and actually giving yourself the permission to get up and try again. Try differently. I'm not saying try the same thing and fail again, but I'm saying, yeah, you're you're down on the ground, just like Brene Brown says, like it's hard. This is, oh my God, I, I was vulnerable. I tried and I fail and this is awful. Yeah, okay, feel it. Reflect on what happened. Pick yourself back up and try a different version. So the seeing failure as an opportunity there, because if we're not afraid of failure, we have brilliant ideas that we did not think about before that all of a sudden makes so much sense and that can change the world for real. Like that's where the, the creative juices are at. It's when you're not afraid. It's when you allow all of these ideas to pop up until the right one comes along. I was, I'm wondering, I was wondering if you had a, a particular example in mind of maybe a team that you'd worked with where you saw that shift from protecting themselves from the failure and needing things to be perfect or needing to meet a certain outcome. And they were able to shift to more of that type of mindset where failure is okay and I'm going to keep on taking action. So is there a team that you've worked with that you have in mind that you can tell me about? There's a few and there's like one example that stands out. So she was a classic perfectionist. Everything had to be perfect. Like her drawings were erasing all the bad lines and making things look exactly the way they are in reality. And her drawings were beautiful. I mean, like she was talented. I could see what I could see there was so much weight on her and on her drawings. You could feel it. Like the the pressure of all that. And so during our time in that course, I asked her to not use the eraser. First of all, that was such a big deal for her. Like it was as if I was asking her to climb Mount Everest. Like it was not possible for her to not have this eraser. And we worked together for her to see that when a line felt wrong, it could actually be an opportunity to express something else in the drawing. And so her drawings became more scribbly, if I can say it in those lines. <laughs> and eventually her drawings became these free forms, almost an abstraction to them. So she explored it all the way. Once she allowed the bad lines to live on the page, she went with it. And at one point it was like playing. It was magic to see her because at first I saw this this youth that was very concentrated on her own drawing closed in and with her eraser and focused on the small details to some to someone that had opened her shoulder forgotten about the eraser would look up at the sky and look back down at her drawing and the drawing almost jumped out of the page and it became art that was worthy of being in a gallery, like all that pressure that she was now liberated from, I saw it on the page and I forgot about it. Like I, I, these, these youths were with us for 12 weeks. Yes, they have an imprint on me. Like I still remember her 30 years later, but it's only later in life when I saw her as an adult taking the bus and she said, oh, man, thank you so much for that and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, what are you doing these days? And she's an accomplished artist that is illustrating for magazines. And it was totally amazing. And I'm not saying that I'm responsible for that. She did all that work. She's the one that created that opportunity for herself. But it, she had to allow that discomfort to be like to her. The drawings with the bad lines were not perfect. They were failure. And when she, through practice, realized that they could be opportunities and it could lead her to something else, then it snowballed into what she now has a career doing it. <laughs> That's incredible. 
Yeah, that shift between the heaviness to the lightness. And I think towards yes. the play, I think you use that word. Absolutely. Way of putting it. And you just have the opportunity to be closer to play than adults. Although adults have forgotten how to play, most of them. So if as a youth, you can continue to play, it will be such a plus, plus, plus positive in your life later, I'm telling you. So playing was not that long ago for them. For some adults, playing is like oof, decades and they don't even know how it felt like. Right. Because playing is a feeling. You could play all kinds of things. So you could play all kinds of games. It's not about the activity. It's about how it makes you feel. And it's that flow and it's that non-judgment and forgetting about time. <laughs> right. And I, and I think I just really want to highlight playing necessarily in the traditional sense. I mean, it can be, but it's also yes. applying that quality to, to yes. very important work as well. And I think you've spoken to that in the Carpenter Mac. I'm wondering, before we jump in, this podcast is actually for parents and for professionals working with teens. And I would love to talk a bit about what you found to be most helpful in your work as a professional working with teens. And maybe I'd like to bring to mind somebody who you've worked with in the past who has, who was really, really stuck, like really entrenched in the avoidance, like just right away, like that's, I don't want to do that, that, you know, that's stupid or, you know, that type of reaction to this idea of dabbling and trying different things, taking action in any form. What is the most helpful way to start with an individual who, for many reasons, is just stuck in that place of inaction? Trusting that when the time is right, it will come to that person. And so sometimes we want more than the person that we're working with. And I've recently worked with groups of youth in high school, and there's always that one or two or three or four people that don't want to try the activity that I'm proposing. And so like, uh, there's a lot of that's too messy or that's not for me or I don't do that. And when you push, 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 push for them to try it and do it, the result will not be what you want because it creates anger. It creates resistance. It, so most of the time, what I do is lay out the opportunity. Lay out the materials, lay out what it is that they can try and try to walk away. Like try to not be that hovering presence that really wants them to try. Like I did this for you. You have to try it. No, <laughs> walking away. And for me in that setting, it was easy because I had other youth I could turn to that were trying the activity. And not that I forget about them because I always keep an eye out to see what's happening. 99% of the time, by the end of the class or the time that we have together, the person has tried. Some have gotten frustrated, but have gotten support from either me or others in the class to keep on going. And I'm going to say that those individuals come up with the best results most of the time. I am amazed at what they do. In so little time, like the person who for 40 minutes didn't touch anything, had their arms folded across their chest and looked like, oh my God, they were having the worst time of their life. Once they dove in, in five minutes, it was magic. <laughs> and so their potential, it can feel dormant, but once it's expressed, it's amazing because there's so much in there that can come out in so little time. So summarize what I'm hearing from you is that you need to create an environment that is very non-judgmental and not intimidating. And you need to avoid that trap of putting pressure, right? Pushing before they're ready. You need to give it time. And then I think seeing others do it so they can see what the process is and see what the outcome can be for others. And then there's that community piece that you talked about at the beginning. It sounds like those are the ingredients that you put together in order to help a lot of those individuals who are not going to say yes right away but once they do they surprise themselves and they surprise others so absolutely a lot of it is in preparation of the experience because it's an experience mm -hmm. so i i want to make sure that we do jump into the carbonomic and how <laughs> teens might be able to get involved you talked about how there are so many different ways of getting started so 
let's just say somebody has two minutes right now. <laughs> what are what are ways in which people can get involved with Carbon Almanac? There's all kinds of ways to get involved with the Carbon Almanac. I think most social media platforms have been covered. So if you look at TikTok, there's Carbon Almanac videos and all that stuff. But really, that's not the main <laughs> way to get involved. The main way to get involved is to look at the information. The book is not there yet, but there's a website. So even just the website can be inspiring, carpetalmanac.org. Because two minutes is not long. In our lives, we're all very busy. We don't have a lot of time. And so that's why the almanac was structured the way that it is. Each article is super short. So once the book comes out in July, 300 words is not that long. So you can take two minutes and read one article and understand everything that you need to know about each subject. And we've tried to write it for the intelligent 12-year-old. So often when we were writing the book, I was playing the I don't understand in person because it was written by experts in the field. Like I was working with a soil expert in uh, Australia, and he had wonderful ways of explaining soil bacteria and regeneration but it was so complicated and so taking the language down to okay <laughs> this is the basic understanding for this subject so reading one article it can take two minutes and you can get a good sense of what's happening in that field the climate crisis is so wide range there's always an area that interests us more than others so for you, there's a few articles. There's actually one that's about the global climate youth activist. It's a list of youth activists and seeing what the other youth worldwide are doing is inspiring, checking out their social media accounts. There's an educator guide that's been created to help parents, teachers, educators teach the lessons that are in the almanac in different ways. So there's many lessons that have been created directly for youth on how to take the information contained in the almanac and actually help youth come to their own aha moment, their own understanding of like, wow, this is the subject and this is what we can do about it. One of the lessons that was created on that youth activist page is to actually dive into one of the youth leaders, see how they're doing their work, what's their style, what's their message, how do they go about expressing that message, be inspired by them, and not copy them, but in the spirit of their work, try to do one action, one social media post, one, whatever it is. And sometimes we don't associate with the word activist. I don't, but I know that activism can take different forms. Activism doesn't have to be political or very involved or illegal. Activism can be soft and it could be done at an individual level. I wouldn't associate myself as an activist, but I'm sure that people see me as an activist. So activism as a wide <laughs> explanation or wide understanding. I read through that lesson plan that you had put together called the spirit, called the spirit of change. This is part of the educator's guide, but you had youth write letters to somebody else that I think they cared about to inspire action, right? So having them actually get into that role of motivating either whether I think it's their future self or somebody else that they care about, I think is so powerful, right? Because it gets them pivoting away from those thoughts of I can't do anything, this is hopeless, and getting them into that headspace where they can be much more effective, right? And taking, taking action. And also the time they know a lot more than the adults around them. So youth uh, may be underestimating the amount of knowledge and experience. They're, they might be downplaying their experience. Really, they have so much they can offer the adults around them. And that's also part of what the kids version of the almanac has done it's empowering kids to teach the adults around them what they know and i think that letter to self or to others about the future and what 
we could do today to get to that better future, it can also teach adults, can inspire adults to take actions. Youth might not have currently the power to make those decisions, but the adults around them do. And if they're able to express their perspective and make the adults understand their perspective, then the decisions might be different. And so having those conversations, even if it's like little conversations, crucial to get the adults around them on board. Yeah. And I think in addition to them having that knowledge, they also have skills that many adults don't have, right? The, the social media, the technology skills, and I think also the messaging, right? Like you, you spoke earlier about the fact that life is very busy. I often talk about how I think for me, the whirlwind of life is something that keeps me in an action more than anxiety or sadness. Like that, that's kind of the silent thing. I think that actually for many of us keeps us from being able to take effective action. Yeah. So I loved when, and I didn't know this, I didn't know that the carbon almanac, it, there's a 300 word limit for each article and that you were taking experts who are very in it and may have certain lingo that is not always going to translate to a general population, that you were being thoughtful and mindful of that. So I really, really love that. Going back to what I was saying before about youth having certain skills, I think they're also much better at communicating things in a short, easy to understand way than adults are. Absolutely. Another thing to leverage. And, and that's part of how, you know, they're just used to communicating on social media and just in general now. So yes, I love yes. that, you know, like teams like shorten words and stuff like that, but there's value in that. There's value in things being short and concise and easy, easy to digest. And I would say even to go above that, not just value, like sometimes it makes all of the difference. So I love, love how you talked about that. One of the things that I wanted to add regarding the adults that are around teens that are listening to this podcast, I think we underestimate the value of modeling. So if we want youth around us to do something and we're not doing it, we're just saying it, mm -hmm. it's not going to work. Yeah. And so if we're asking them to, put down the phone or the technologies and get out there and do something and we're not doing it, that might be more powerful to actually go out and do it ourselves than to try and say it and get them to do it just on our words. Yeah, absolutely. One thing that you often hear is people don't know how to take action. I have often had that thought is this action that I'm taking right now that takes a lot of effort, is it going to make a difference? Okay. And so I'd love you to speak to what you think makes the biggest difference. Like where should we be investing our energy? Yes, absolutely. That's one of the big aha moments for me while working on the Carbon Almanac was to see some of the individual actions that I am putting so much energy into doing that have very little impact. And if I took that energy, all that energy that I'm putting into that thing that really doesn't make that much of a difference, and I would pour it into something different, how much more impact that would be, that would have. So there's an article in the Carbon Almanac that talks about the actions that have the biggest impact. And really, the shift is to go from individual action to systemic actions. So yes, it is important for us to continue recycling, but recycling is broken. And so to fix recycling, it's not about you continuing your recycling at home. It's about how do we make the system change for recycling not to be broken? How do we really recycle that plastic? It's through policy. It's through politics. And sometimes we feel like that's overwhelming. Like, how am I going to influence policy or politics? And for youth, even like, oh my God, I can't even vote. Like, how am I supposed to change that? Putting your vote on or your pledge, your vote, your signature on one of those calls for all kinds of causes out there on the internet is, is worse. It takes two minutes <laughs> and it can have a big difference. Like, the David Suzuki Foundation in Canada is able to ship policy at a national and provincial level. It just needs the backing of people, the voices of people saying, yes, this is important. They have 
10 youth leaders taking the Canadian governments to court. The court has given them the go to continue their work. You don't have to be that youth in court, but you could be the signature that helps the cause get further. So it could be one signature. It could be switching your search engine from Google that everybody's using that's making money off our searches to Ecosia, who's a nonprofit that's planting trees and regenerating the planet. Very different goals, very different impacts. And it's just one switch. You're, you're still going to search the internet. We need to search the internet. That's the reality of our lives right now. Might as well be planting trees while doing it. It could be as simple as that. That can be like, it's a two-minute action. I've switched. And at first, I was like, oh, my God, am I going to get good search results? And is this okay? It's fine. And it works great. So there's very simple things that you can do that make a big difference. (laughs) So I love that there is the upstream stuff, the bigger movement in terms of changing policy. And that can include getting informed with the Carbon Almanac and all of the resources attached with that, speaking up and also joining the community. But you're also talking about these small shifts that you can make day to day. So I like that one about switching from Google to Ecosia. What are other things like that? Can you give me some other ideas as to what people could do maybe right now after they finish listening to this episode that they can do that might be a little step, but is a shift in the right direction? The one thing I really want to say, and it comes out of my heart, is reconnect with nature. What is the way to do that for you, where you're at in your life? I don't know. Is it about a plant that's alive in your apartment or is it about watching the clouds? Taking that moment to breathe the energy of the of nature and how it has so much to teach us. And I know it could feel like, ooh la la, like... Uh, that's too too hippie for me. I don't do that. <laughs> and I understand. But rekindling that love for the planet and the animals and the people that are living on it is the main drive to take all those actions. What is it that we're doing this for? It's to save us and the animals and the plants. It's to still have a planet to live on. And if we don't know that planet and we don't love it, then we're missing a big motivation factor. So connecting to nature in whatever feels good, in whatever way feels good to you would be like my my go-to, just looking at the clouds. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I go back to that visual of taking the head out of the sand, <laughs> just looking around for a couple of minutes and just being aware that this is something and it's something that needs to be addressed. Okay. I think before we finish things off, because I'm just, oh, I'm aware of time. If I can just maybe, if we can go through and say your top action step for people to take right after listening today, what would that be? Start a conversation. So you don't have to be an expert on any field regarding climate crisis. You, you just talk to the person, the people around you about what's happening in your community or what did you learn I learned this fact today. Did you know this? And so getting the conversation going with as many people as we can is actually the one action that will make a difference globally. If we can all be talking about this, then it becomes a priority. And so because we're not talking about it and we're shielding ourselves from the challenges, it's not helping. It doesn't have to be a confrontation. Having a conversation is about listening to the other and seeing their perspective, where they're coming from. First step is for us to start talking about it more and more. So starting a conversation is the one thing that we can all do about climate change. Okay, so that first step after you listen to this, when you get home, go and take a look at the website and order the Carbon Almanac when it comes out on July 12th, right? Yeah. (laughs) And then start having those conversations and start having those conversations about how to take action in small ways and in big ways. Absolutely. That's amazing. 
Well, thank you so much for your time. And <laughs> I have about a thousand other questions to ask you right now. So <laughs> we might have to do a part. Um, but I really appreciate just the message, but also just all of the practical advice. I think is incredibly helpful. So thank you. It's, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Take care. Bye. So there you have it. My biggest takeaways from this episode, how breaking out of the avoidance and paralysis that eco-anxiety can fuel involves number one, taking a moment to feel the emotion whether it's fear, guilt, sadness, or anger. And then number two, taking a small bite-sized step that feels good and is fun and easy. How allowing quote-unquote failure and messiness is where the important work happens and how letting go of the need for perfection can open up a whole other world of possibility. And finally, the practical concrete two-minute steps of looking at the Carbon Almanac website and the Educator's Guide, ordering the Carbon Almanac to help facilitate fact-based and meaningful conversations around climate change and switching to the internet search engine Ecosia. These steps were short and easy enough that I did them all within about 24 hours of our conversation. Please visit the show notes for links to everything we spoke about. I hope you found our discussion as valuable as I did. Thank you so much for listening this week, and I will see you soon. Thanks for listening to the Decode Project podcast. Please subscribe so you don't miss a future episode and help me spread the word by sharing it with a friend. Learn more about the Decode Insomnia program by visiting decodeinsomnia.com. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Carbon Connection, a rebroadcast of the Decode Project podcast. We want to thank Dr. Kara Ui for letting us share this episode with you. Special thanks to Julie DeMarais for introducing us to the episode today. To learn more about eco-anxiety, click on the link in the show notes or go to thecarbonalmanac.org and perform a search for eco-anxiety in the footnotes section. You'll find links to a five-part series about eco-anxiety that was featured in the Daily Difference email series. You'll also find a link to the resources used to write the page about eco-anxiety in the Carbon Almanac. Thank you for joining us today. See you next time.